Hey, look at that. Look at that. Here we are. Welcome, everyone. It is the 6th of September, 2022, and it is time for episode 134 of my live chat. My name is Luke Thomas. Uh, how are you doing? You might know me from CBS Sports or Showtime. This is my personal YouTube channel. I am delighted to be here. We have we usually do this at 3. I had to do it at 3.30 because um, all of my family are out of town, basically, and well, my wife will be home in an hour, but... Uh, They've been out of town, and I had to get my daughter from school. There was no one else to get her. So I had to go get her. She's back. She's here. Here I am. Uh, there's actually someone else watching her now, but you get the idea. So here we are. Thank you for joining me. Sorry about the delay. I greatly appreciate it. Let's see. On the docket today, what do we have? I think there's questions about Dana White. There's questions about Islam Makachev. There's lots of things going on. We'll get... To whatever's on your mind, breaking news, uh, President Biden, and if you guys know, I despise Trump, but I've never been a big fan of Biden whatsoever, and I'm still not. However, uh, just moments ago, it was reported all over the news media that he is going to pardon, I think, all federal inmates who have simple possession charges on marijuana, and then uh, is asking, I think is looking into getting cannabis and marijuana really uh rescheduled under the whatever the, the 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 name of the drug control law is that schedules all the drugs schedule one schedule two schedule three that kind of a thing and it's obviously been it's been the it's been a schedule one drug i believe despite not being serious in terms of its threats i know there's people out there that believe a bunch of bullshit that it is but um it would be getting it off that classification which would change uh, any number of things, including into research, including into drug enforcement, any it would be a major uh, path towards enlightened change. Now, of course, they did it this month, right before the midterms as an electoral ploy. That's rather obvious, but it's good policy. Can't say it's not good policy. It's good policy. So um, an interesting development to begin the show today. All right, that's neither here nor there. Let's get to what you guys want to get to and so with that in mind, let's get this party started, shall we? And we're back. All right, there we go. Uh, let's see. Okay, let's pull up your questions, see what we got here, all the good stuff. Um, all right. So here's what we have right here. As you guys, oops, wait, 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 wait. I got to bring this in. There we go. As you guys know, I put up a thread the day before. You guys fill it up and we go. Now, this is a quiet week in the sport. I'm not expecting a bonanza of viewers today as a consequence. And I delayed the normal timing. So don't know who all is going to be here. I'll go for about an hour on these questions. If you would like to put in a paid question, we'll get to it at the end. Certainly under no obligation to do that. If you don't, no harm, no foul, no judgment whatsoever. If you'd like to, um, I'd be very appreciative. But you get the idea, right? Okay. So. Let's get going, shall we? Uh, we've already been on the air for a few minutes now. All right, let's pull this back up. So here we go. All right, Luke, can you explain for someone who is not from the States what the significance of Bo Nichols' collegiate wrestling credentials are, and especially why it matters that he did it at Penn State, which is specifically talked about every time. The fact that it's at Penn State isn't I mean, it's significant and it's not. The reason why it's significant is because that is the dominant team in collegiate wrestling today. They have 
and and they have been this way for quite some time. But what the real story is is it's not just from him, but the current state of of Penn State, they are coached by Cale Sanderson. Cale Sanderson won uh, an Olympic gold medal. Cale Sanderson uh, went undefeated in college, I believe, at Iowa State. I could be wrong about that. You can double check. But, um, you know, he graduated, I think, the year I graduated college. I believe that's right. He was on the cover of a Wheaties box. Anyway, didn't lose a single match in all of college. And there were comparisons when he graduated and especially when he got his gold medal, whether or not he would be some kind of heir to Dan Gable. Who who is, you know, who did well, obviously in college, um, and uh, did really well. Didn't surrender a point, I think, in the seventy-two Munich Games, something like that, on route to a gold medal. Now, John Smith ended up having more medals than him in the totality of uh, post-collegiate wrestling, and then even more than that, Jordan Burroughs has had more total medals in terms of like world championships and has won Olympic gold. But Anyway, the point being is it's a powerhouse dominant program. Now, historically, before that, the two dominant programs were Oklahoma State and Iowa. Now, there's been other good programs. Stanford, for a while, had a pretty good program. Iowa State's had a pretty good program. Um, There's been some other good ones that have been along the way. Surprisingly, even for a small school like Northwestern has had some decent wrestlers along the way. Wyoming has had some pretty good wrestlers. There's been a lot of California schools that have been really good. Cal Poly actually has some decent ones as well. Um, I'm skipping a bunch that are bigger than that, but you get the idea. Like The two main power centers were Oklahoma State, where John Smith taught, and then... um, the Brand Brothers, right, were at Iowa. I believe that's right. I'm not sure who was. No, Dan Gable was there for a long time. I'm not sure who took over for Dan Gable after Iowa. Iowa always has the black singlets, so it's always this really intimidating place. Iowa is known for this culture of winning. Anyway, Penn State, I think, was always pretty good or you know, relatively on the map. But then when Cale Sanderson took over the program, it just was launched into the stratosphere, and they've had nothing but tremendous wrestling since then. And, you know, uh, Bo Nichols hardly alone. Ed Ruth is one of the top 10 collegiate wrestlers of all time. He has not exactly been what I think folks thought he might when he went to Bellator, but certainly his collegiate wrestling deck, uh, abilities are nearly unparalleled. Um, but beyond that, remember Phil Davis, by the way, went to Penn State? I, don't, I think I'm not sure exactly if his time overlaps with Sanderson as head coach. Still might double check that, but you get the idea. Anyway, Bo Nickel won three national titles, so he won it in Division One. Division One is the highest of all of the hierarchies. Now, you could be a Division Two wrestler and be really good. You can be, even be a Division Three wrestler and be really good, especially if you're able to translate some of those skills to MMA more readily. But um, Division One is the highest level in general, and to win a national title is extremely difficult. To win three of them is extremely difficult. I think he's a four-time All-American, and then he also won Big Ten Athlete of the Year, which means of all collegiate sports, anybody who was a Big Ten athlete that year is eligible to win it. He beat everyone, so that would include football, that would include swimming, that would include track and field, that would include everyone. And I'm pretty sure he's got a Hodge trophy in there somewhere. I, I might be making that up. In any case, he did about as well in college as anyone could ever hope and then some. And he did it at a very prestigious program in with a tough schedule. And I watched, I remember his senior year very clearly. I watched him because he had won a national title, I think, the year before that. Anyway, he was on everyone's radar. 
and dude he demolished people like they couldn't do a fucking thing to him he was so much better than his competition they barely scored points on him his senior season i don't know if he went undefeated but he went pretty close i mean he was and we're talking like you know dozens and dozens of matches anyway bo nickel was a fucking hammer and a half in college he was just outrageously good now the truth is he won an under 23 world championship but when he went to freestyle, it didn't quite translate as well for him. I'm not sure if that's where he didn't like he didn't want to be there. Like his mind was really on MMA, or what it was about his style that it didn't go really well for him. Or I think his weight class was also very competitive. I think David Taylor, who by the way also came from Penn State, um, who's was an Olympic and world champion as well. By the way, same time as Kyle Dake. So Cornell had always had some decent wrestlers too. But. Um, in any case, it just didn't work out for him on the freestyle level, and so he has made the transition to MMA. But, you know, if we're asking who are the best collegiate wrestlers, right, to ever fight in the UFC, he's not the first one to win a national title. But I don't know if there's any other that have three national titles. Now that I think about it, he actually might be the – and Minnesota, by the way, where Brock Lesnar's from is a great program. Uh, Logan Storley is from Minnesota as well, University of Minnesota. So I think it, there's a decent claim – Again, I'd have to double check this, but I'm he's got to be on the short list for best collegiate wrestling resume of any UFC fighter ever. Guys, when I really begin to sink my teeth into like MMA as like, oh, this is a thing I really want to spend my time doing. Matt Hughes was changing the game, the prototype of what it meant to be a wrestler in MMA. He came from Illinois. Again, the the fighting uh, Illini have a good program as well. Isaiah Martinez, I believe, is from them. He's a very good wrestler, too. But uh Matt Hughes was just a two-time All-American. And All-American means you placed inside the top eight in the national tournament. Now that's I want to be very clear. That's like very difficult to do. Like very difficult to do. Bo Nickel won that shit the whole thing three times. Um, you know, uh, Kyle Dake had a better career. Kyle Dake won a national title all four years and won it in four different weight classes. Dan Gable, I believe. One all, or maybe he won three. I, I can't remember anymore from Dan Gable's story. Um, but obviously, Kale Sanderson won all four years. You know, the guys, I think there's like less than a handful that have won all four years. Gable Steveson is another guy who I think has multiple national titles, maybe three or more. I can't, I, I don't have all this information in front of me to double check. But in the case of Bo Nickel, who has fought in UFC, anyone who's fought in UFC, and I'm going to count contender series as part of that, he might have the best collegiate resume of anyone. He might. He might. And the last thing I'd say about this is folk style has a different rule set, not entirely, but I would argue by virtue of the wrist riding and some of the stuff that translates from referee's position, which is that position where you have hands on the mat and then the knees, the, some of the some of the control on the mat, it actually translates better to MMA than freestyle wrestling. That's why you can see guys who have been, you know, pretty decorated international level wrestlers whose wrestling wasn't quite as good on the ground. Like, for example, Yoel Romero is just a phenomenal wrestler. His ground control is not, like, a, 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 maybe it's good. It's not a forward part of his game. Like, who has better control on the ground? Um, let's think here. Uh, Yoel Romero or, I'm trying to think of somebody else who wrestled collegiately who's still in the UFC, uh, like Colby Covington. Like Colby Covington was a multiple-time All-American. Who's got better ground control? Colby Covington has better ground control, you know. But he, in terms of like what it means inside the world of wrestling, you know, 
Colby's down here and Yoel's up there. But in terms of what it means for MMA, it's actually a much better transition point actually from direct folk style. Ben Askren, I think, has made similar points. Ben Askren's another guy who um, he has a Hodge Trophy, and I think he had two national titles. Um, Bo's got three. Let me look up. I would, I'd be curious to see, does Bo have a Hodge Trophy? Let's see. Hodge Trophy was given to the best wrestler overall in any given year. Um, let's see. Does he have the old Hodge? Yes, he earned it in 2019. Uh, and then he was 2019 Big Ten Athlete of the Year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's real good. He's real good. He's real, 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 real good. Um, I don't know who's got a better collegiate resume who has fought in UFC than him. There might be someone I'm not thinking of off the top of my head, but he's up there. All right. Luke, when rewatching the Dillashaw Sandhagen fight, DC comments, quote, that the judges tonight are looking at pressure and cage control, end quote. Do you think that coaches or fighters should be cognizant of the judges' preferences via previous decisions? Or is this just another example of reasons to reconsider scoring? Yeah, I don't. There's too many variables here for me to really know exactly what's going on. Partly, I don't know when DC... First of all, I don't know if DC actually said that. People will sometimes write this in the chat. Like, so-and-so said something, and then I'll go back and listen to what they said, and it's kind of like a modified version of what they said. But let's assume for the sake of argument, he actually, in fact, did say this. There's that. When did he say it in the fight? Did he say it in the beginning of the first round? Because that would be crazy. If he said it at the end of the fifth, depending on what he was looking at, it may or may not be all that crazy, right? The reason why it may or may not be all that crazy is, remember, there's a hierarchy inside the 10-point must system where if you have, if someone is clearly the better striker or clearly the better grappler, like we're judging effective striking, effective grappling, we don't even look at the other criteria. It's not relevant. We only look at those as essentially a cascading series of tiebreakers. So he might have said that at some point in the fight when he thought everything else was relatively equal. I don't know. I can't speak for him. And also, it's hard to like, remember, you get, you know, if you're fighting a championship level fighter, which by definition, TJ Dillashaw is, you're going to get that fight in all likelihood, six to eight to 12 weeks, 10, 12 weeks out. You have to build a game plan and a training camp around what you intend to do starting from that point. You, and yes, of course, you can make changes along the way. But in general, you should have a clear, you're, you should have a training camp clearly identified around your strengths, what the game plan is, and then the execution therein. You may not get the notification of who's going to be the judge until the week of, two weeks out, three weeks out sometimes. It's not well in advance. So you couldn't make a game plan around what they're looking for that far out. Now, of course, you could make some real-time modifications if you got the right kind of fighter, but that's very difficult to do. I think the best you can do is try and build a winning game plan that puts the fighter away or, at a bare minimum, puts enough distance between yourself and someone else that anyone who is a reasonably qualified judge can make that assessment. Easier said than done. Easier said than done. But a lot of people want to trap DC or anybody else in the public eye in statements that they make. I would just need more. I would need more information to make a, a more reasonable assessment of what he's saying here. I don't. I don't have enough. All right, Luke. I find it odd. Chimaev wants to compete at 170 because it's full of great wrestlers and cardio kings. I can't see anyone really in the top 10. Who can wrestle with Chimaev at 185? Wouldn't the path be to a title be better for him than at middleweight? Um, I'm not sure why you 
I've said this before. I don't really know where the source of confidence comes from that no one can really wrestle with him. No one has a, for example, he was a Division two, two national champ, which again, if you're a Division two national champ, could you beat Division one guys? Yes, you could. Yes, you could. But they have these different silos and these different systems and part of that scholastic university system to create them in, you know, to give smaller programs um, better fit for competition. Doesn't mean you couldn't beat those guys, but it just means that's not who you were up against. Anyway, um, yes, you don't have someone who's got the background of Kamaru or the background of Colby in that explicit kind of way, but Robert Whitaker is a pretty good wrestler. Marvin Vittori is a pretty good MMA wrestler. Um, and they're much bigger and stronger. And you've seen that match against Jack Hermanson. Yes, he was able to push Jack Hermanson around somewhat, definitely. I mean, he won. Um, but Hermanson was able to resist it in a lot of ways, too. And also, it was kind of for fun. And then Hermanson has a more submission-oriented game. In other words, there's a lot of benefits to his game and the physical style that he employs by being down a weight class, assuming he can make the weight. But this idea that he's just going to go in there and boss everyone around at 185 the same way he did at 170 because they don't have traditional wrestling backgrounds belies the fact that you're different with you're dealing with a very different quality of athlete, a different size of athlete, um, a different kind of game uh, by virtue of all the different sizes in the talent pool. Like, I would, I, I'm not saying that like he'll, he can't go up there and do those things to those people. I'm simply saying you should have a better basis of judgment by which to make that claim. Someone's asking me a question I'm not really capable of answering. Like, if we're talking about goats of respective combat sports, Sugar Ray Robinson in boxing, um, he's got Alexander Medvin freestyle wrestling. I'm not sure that that's universally agreed upon. Georgia Petrosi in kickboxing, uh, maybe once upon a time, certainly not in the pound for pound consideration or top of the pound for pound consideration at the current moment. Anyway, it goes on. Who of these is most dominant relative to their sport? It's a good question, but I simply don't know enough about Muay Thai or kickboxing or even really freestyle wrestling to give you a great answer there. Uh, here's a good one. Look, I know it's fairly recent news, but was wondering if you have any thoughts on the Livion Bell versus Uriah Hall boxing match that was just announced for the Paul Silva undercard. I see Hall taking it fairly easy. But as we've seen time and again, aging MMA fighters don't typically have the smoothest transition into boxing. Granted, this is an inexperienced opponent, so who knows what could really happen. Yeah, I was surprised to see this, and I guess, well, there was another, okay, so it was announced today, or I think it, it was reported that BKFC is looking to book Melvin Gillard in a fight in Colorado. I don't know if that's going to get sanctioned. I don't know if that's going to get sanctioned. That, he is on a rough run. Now, that is very different obviously in many ways from what we're talking about here with either Le'Veon Bell. For folks who may not know from Europe, he was a very, at once upon a time, a very, very, very good running back. Those are the guys that get handed off the ball behind the line of scrimmage and then they run it. Um, he was very good for a time. And uh, which, you know, you have to be a very uh, dynamic athlete to be good at that. You have to be like a 200 plus pounder. You have to be able to, to cut angles and switch your balance and be able to move side to side, great agility, great explosion, great durability as well. Um, it's a different situation when we're talking about someone like that. But the reason I would bring it up is, I, I got to tell you, I really don't understand how commissions view MMA experience. Because I don't know if Arizona has a historically lax commission. I don't know that I understand that this fight should be... I'm a little bit confused about the sanctioning on this one too. It's not like I'm... 
it's not like I can predict the future and tell you exactly what's going to happen. I don't really know either, but I, here's why I say this. On the one hand, McGregor's experience was good enough that even though he was making his pro debut in boxing, they still sanctioned a fight in Las Vegas against Mayweather. On the other hand, what they're saying is it's not so distant between the Hall's ability and Bell's ability that they can't fudge it when Hall, I guess, is making his pro boxing debut. But he, I mean, you see what I mean? Like, on the one hand, it's enough to elevate McGregor to fight Mayweather in his pro debut. On the other hand, and obviously, Connor and Uriah Hall didn't have equivalent careers, but Uriah Hall was a very good MMA fighter. And against Muniz, he fought a very good grappler and didn't get submitted. He lost the fight, clearly. All right. But you know, he's a good fighter, like a really good fighter for a time. Are we really going to say that, like, in his making a pro debut, he should be fighting an NFL running back turned pro boxer who only beat Adrian Peterson? Now, I have to say, if you didn't see that fight, Bell is actually, like, as I mentioned, Bell's a good athlete, a very good athlete. And what I saw was, that, like, the way he stopped Peterson, like, not bad. You know, not bad. Certainly, I don't, I'm not here to impugn, like, of all the guys who transition over, we saw um, a lot of folks. You know, Frank Gore, for example, didn't quite look the part. I think that a lot of folks thought he would. Bell kind of looked the part, all things considered. So I'm not poo-pooing in that way, but I guess I just don't understand what commissions look at the relevance of an MMA resume when deciding to sanction or not sanction various contests when that fighter is then make, competing in a um, in a adjacent combat sport. In any case, that's the setup there. Hall, I think, is um, should very much win this. I think Bell might be a little bit better than folks realize. And again. Hall striking, I think, has always been a little bit more kickboxing-oriented than just straight-up boxing-oriented. I mean, some of his most famous finishes, if you want to count the Musasi finish or the one he had in the Ultimate Fighter, these were these were kicking finishes, basically. But um, he does have good hands. He's done, he does have good power. Battle-tested, for sure. I think he should win this one, you know, relatively easily. And I, I would love to know the commission's arguments and then compare that, like, obviously, we, this is unknowable, but, like, the justification used to make this one versus the justification used to make the Connor and Mayweather fight. Again, different fighters in all four directions, different fights in, in many directions, but that we're changing from MMA to boxing. What does that mean for this individual fighter? I would have thought they would have given him someone a little bit more senior than this, um, but we shall see. We shall see. Bell has, I'm sure, look, I'm sure Bell's got good power, you know. He's a very, very good athlete, a legit athlete, no doubt about it. A world-class, well, hard to say he's world-class given he hasn't had world-class, he hasn't had world-stage competitions, but let me assure you, I bet his numbers, you know, I don't have his numbers in front of me from the combine. I bet they're pretty good. Let's see, do we have Le'Veon Bell's combine numbers? I wonder what those look like. Here we go. Yes, as a matter of fact, we do. So he played for Michigan State. By the way, uh, Mich Michigan has. Oh, here we go. Let's let me see so you can put it up here. Uh, let's see. NFL Combine scores: forty-yard dash, four-six vertical leap, thirty-one broad jump, one hundred and eighteen. He ran almost eighteen miles an hour. Twenty-yard split. Da -da 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 -da. What do you get on bench press? Twenty-four reps of two twenty-five. It's pretty good. Um. Yeah, he's a good athlete. He's a very good athlete. And he was, Jesus Christ, he was 230 pounds. 
that's you know 230 pounds and you can run the 40 and four six that's not bad uh if i do say so myself how tall is he he's 74 inches almost so i'm 76 so he's about what six two ish he's six two two thirty and he can run the 40 and four six and he can bench press again this was at right out of college but he could bench press um 225 24 times yeah that's a good athlete that's a really good athlete so we'll see it was surprising to me to be honest with you it was surprising so I was asking the keys to victory for Izzy and then Pereira when they fight okay I, I get this question almost every week and every week I kind of punt because I don't have a good answer for you because I don't feel like until I do proper tape study that I should be giving you some kind of answer. I can give you one off the top of my head, but I don't really think that's going to be all that great. I'd much rather give you one where I've dug into the details. So the two fights that I want to look into are going to be obviously Islam versus Oliveira. That's one that there's so, I can tell there's so many questions. There's so much intrigue around that. We're going to look into that one pretty heavy. And the other one would be this one. These two fights, the next two, basically the next two UFC pay-per-view main events, those are the ones that folks seem to care about the most. Those are the ones I'm going to dig into the most. But without having done that, I really just feel like I'd be giving you a shit answer. If you guys haven't seen it yet, I really hope you find time to to get it. Um, I did the uh, the uh, technical difficulties on Mackenzie Dern's ground game and a little bit of her stand-up, although not much. I feel like I understand what's holding her back a lot better now. I really feel like I could give you a much better answer about that. If you've not seen it, I, I'm, I'm, I feel like the analysis is good. Um, I hope it's good. Obviously, you you and everyone else out there can are the only ones who can determine that. But... Um, yeah, I, I, I feel like I need to do a process like that before I can give you an answer that counts for anything meaningful. Um, let's see. Uh, good question, although this guy's got a bunch in here, so I'm trying to see if I can get somebody else. Let's see. Okay. Uh, hi, Luke. Do you believe that Sugar Sean will have a Jose Aldo moment in his upcoming fight versus Jan? Meaning, he could potentially knock Jan out cold in the first minute, or do you see no scenario possible where that plays out? Unlikely. Unlikely, and I'll tell you why. Um, the Jose Aldo moment, right, it's more of the Conor McGregor moment, but I, I know what you mean. That was a function of Jose Aldo kind of fighting... A little recklessly certainly aggressively and somewhat out of character right possible that Jan could do that but I think Jan's a very smart fighter and more to the point what do you notice about him in most contests now this is a three-round contest so this will be somewhat limited but he Almost certainly in a five round fight, he almost punts entirely on the first round. In a five round fight, he will almost entirely just punt the whole way. Very much hands up here, making reads, covering up, blocking, rolling with shots, whatever he needs to do, looking at what you're doing. And then towards the end of that round, he begins to kind of like test to see what works. And then by the second round, he's really turning it on. Again, we're talking in a five round context. Third round, he's really turning it on, and then usually what happens after that point is he either closes the show or he rides off into the sunset with a victory. Not always. Aljamain Sterling has something to say about that, but in general, that's how it goes for him. The point I'm trying to make is 
he he doesn't he isn't just a slow starter because he can't quite get going. He is an intentionally strategically slow starter built around the idea that it's better to punt a little bit early to make some kind of diagnostic reads and then to subsequently use that as offense going forward. For that reason, him coming out just like Rah! and then getting hit certainly possible seems unlikely. The other detail there is what you saw from someone like Pedro Munoz, which was that guys who, now he was challenging him with the leg kicks, but also some movement, some of the angles he was taking, it tends to nullify O'Malley a little bit, a little bit when that happens. And so what I expect is that he will not throw a lot within the first two, maybe three-ish minutes, and he will just sort of let Sean do what he's going to do, see what his feints look like, see what his movement looks like. He might faint a little bit back just to get a reaction. What, what kind of reaction does he give? And right, He makes this diagnostic read, and then from there he begins to build offense subsequent to that. So for that, for that reason, I find this scenario, again, dude, it's MMA. Crazy shit happens all the time. That being said, I do not find that scenario very likely at all. That, that Not much surprises me in MMA. That would surprise me for him to abandon the very blueprint that made him a champion level fighter out of some grudge with Sean or some shit I, that, and, and by the way, like, you know, why did, why did Jan take the fight? Probably for a couple of reasons. One beating Sean O'Malley, uh, he has to know would be a gigantic boost to his popularity. And then sub or I should say, secondly, I think he thinks it's a very winnable fight. You know, I bet he thinks it's a very winnable fight, but he's not just because he thinks it's winnable. doesn't mean he's going to fight like a dumbass. Right, very, very different consideration to play. I think he'll take his time in as much as he can in a three-round contest. So, should be interesting. The question is, does he punt? To me, the bigger one would be, does he punt enough on the first where he loses the first and then has to win the second and third, but maybe he can't quite get that going? That's, to me, the more interesting part. The more The bigger question to me is how much time does he take to make reads and how quickly do the reads work? I think by the third round, the reads will work, assuming he's still around, right? Because O'Malley does have, you know, good knockout power and good movement and great accuracy. Nevertheless, that's sort of what I'd be looking at. Uh, okay, let's get to this one because this was all over the news. Let's see here. Uh, what do you make of the whole saga of Connor Ben testing positive? It seems like the uh, everyone involved in the fight, including the commission, knew about it for weeks. Yeah, he tested positive, and they knew about it back in September and tried to brush it under the carpet, but only have to do something about it now due to the Daily Mail breaking the news a few days before the fight. Yeah, basically. Yeah, I mean, listen, I, it's funny. I hear people complain that they are tired of my views on anti-doping, which I have to tell you I find fucking hilarious because I live in a sea of everyone else's nonsense all the time and i'm just expected to tolerate this as if by virtue of it being conventional wisdom it's therefore true i got news for you folks there's lots of things that are conventional wisdom that are not in any way true and that's been very true over the course of human history so the fact that a lot of people hold that opinion including important stakeholders as evidence of how much I should treat it with seriousness is a fucking joke to me. Now, that aside, what do you want me to say? Like, I bet drugs and drug use is rampant in boxing. I bet that um, 
if they weren't made to if they, if it had not gone public they would have absolutely gone forward with the fight if it hadn't been as scandalous as it had been in the sort of last minute way that it was they would have gone forward with the fight i think fans and here's the question oh would fans have boycotted it in like real protest because they hate this kind of thing no fans would have showed up they absolutely certainly in the uk i mean it was always a question of whether or not this was going to appeal to american audiences drugs or no drugs um but i think it would have done really well in the uk and everyone would have had a good time now obviously um you know some people have a lot of apprehensions about and let's be clear about this connor ben cheated or at least you know that's he hasn't he hasn't been um uh, found there's just this analytical finding it has not been proven that he has done anything wrong that's the word i'm saying proven you are allowed to make whatever assumptions you make my assumption based on the information that we have is that he's quite obviously using and um and he got found out and you know i hardly think he's alone the doctor by the way that he apparently used has all kinds of combat sports clients, including Tyson Fury. And uh, I believe Patty Pimblett and Molly McCann are clients of that doctor. Now, I want to be clear, just by virtue of having the association does not in any way implicate them, because by the way, those people are, are tested by USADA all the time for whatever that is worth to any of you out there. Just sort of pointing out this guy's got a large, and there's a bunch more than them uh, on the boxing side. Anyway, so this guy is inside combat sports casting a very wide net. Take that for whatever it is worth. Um, yeah, this is to me sport. I, you know, people want, you know, listen, if you agree to a rule set, you have to obey by the rule set, right? That's sort of the basis of sport. But the reality is life is simply not that simple. And um, one of the things that anti-doping research has showed is that, and, you know, the message of anti-doping has changed over time, uh, you know, due to a variety of circumstances but for a very long time and even now it's been presented as the public doesn't want this and the sport doesn't want this and the stakeholders in general don't want it that this is something that an individual bad actor does and by the way i've seen this being like oh this is connor ben's fault you know uh and only connor ben's fault i, I don't really agree with that now yes connor ben is the only one inside of this larger equation that broke the rules and for that he deserves unique blame I certainly will agree to that, okay? He agreed to a certain rule set, and again, he hasn't been convicted of anything, but it appears that he broke those rules. However, what research has shown unequivocally is that when push comes to shove, it actually isn't true that the fans care about scandal. It actually isn't true that the vast majority of the stakeholders care about the scandal. It actually isn't true that sponsors deeply care about these sorts of scandals it turns out that in most cases that's simply not true at all that isn't by itself a reason to just get rid of anti-doping if you're a big believer in it but it is something you should reconcile and the reason why i bring that up is yeah connor ben is the one who allegedly broke the rules but he is operating in a space where he knew everyone else didn't care either he knew that the promoter and Denny Hearn had said on, I think, uh, with a different fight, who was it? Oscar Valdez, I think, who said it about, where he's like, how can it be when he's talking about Oscar Valdez that this guy can break the rules and still fight? And then here it is, you know, happens to him and his tune changes completely. And, I, you know, again, it sounds like I'm beating up on Eddie Hearn. I like Eddie Hearn. Dude. He's, I think in general, he's a good promoter. He had a little bit of a rough run in 2022, but in general, I think he's, he, he's good for the sport. I, I, I truly believe that. But I'm just trying to point out, he's operating inside of a world that he knows doesn't give a fuck. And so there's this pretension. This is what I mean about our conversations being completely fucking fraudulent. 
where we assign blame to one guy in an industry where the fans, sponsors, and stakeholders don't care, right? And not only don't care, like actively look the other way, potentially, we don't know this yet, but certainly this has been true in the past. In other cases, actively look to conceal those facts. So this idea that like Connor is uniquely to blame to me just seems, well, yeah, he, he shares a unique type of blame. But the idea that he is, excuse me, solely to blame, how can he be solely to blame when he is merely working inside the system that sets up these kinds of things? It's just, it's a very disingenuous conversation. It's a disingenuous way to make the point. It's not literal. It's not real. It's this, fil- everyone has different thoughts and different preferences. And then they put this screen up and then the words that come out or the things that they write get, get whitewashed in the process to make it more palatable for public consumption. It's like anti-doping reminds me of how people are afraid of making jokes on Twitter for fear of everyone else jumping on them. So they filter who they are on Twitter as a consequence to avoid these kinds of things. But that's not really how they feel. This is what I'm talking about. That we, we, You must have a much broader view of this. And the broader view to me is that this guy should not have broken rules that he agreed to, quite obviously, quite obviously. But he is operating in a space where, in general, it's easy to conceal and everyone around you, including the most powerful and important people from the larger consumer base to everyone else I just I, I itemized, they don't give a shit. So this idea that like, wow, how, how could he have done this? Yeah, I know exactly how he could have done this. <laughs> it's a surprise more don't. So that's how I feel about it. You know, we'll see how the, the adjudication of this all plays out. And again, man, if you sign up for rules, you got to obey them. But I, at some point, I'm, I, this is what I want before I die. I want the conversation around drugs and sport. You, you don't have to agree with me, but it just needs to be more honest. It just needs to be more, more authentic. And whenever we want to just blame an individual user in these cases, that is you not looking at the world and all of the intense pressure and encouragement and frankly, means of support that they provide to make that world and to make that kind of cheating not really possible, but accepted, and in other cases, rewarded. You have to have a broader view of the whole thing. All right, and there's Luke's daily anti-doping rant over. All right. Uh, Good question. So, by the way, someone's talking about the Uberine picture. I mean, look at this picture. Hold on. Let me look at. So this is the dream belt here. This is, I believe, the K1 belt here. And then this is the, excuse me, this is the strike force belt right here. Boy, is that a fucking photo and a half? Good Lord, dude. Uberim, Uberim was was quite the, uh, quite the fighter. Anyway, uh, where was that? there's Connor. okay here we go no sorry um where would frank mirror rank on your all-time favorite ground specialist list pretty high pretty high not looking for a specific number just want to hear some praise for the king of limb destruction yeah there's a famous quote i've said it before if you're new to me this might be the first time you hear it if you're not um this is a great quote joe silva always had a great quote about frank mirror he said frank mirror is what happens when technique meets horsepower it's really quite true. You guys ever seen um, his uh, elbow inversion submission he hit over um, Pete Smith 
It's a great one. When he broke the arm, I go back to this all the time. When he broke the arm of Tim Sylvia, he didn't break it here on the arm bar. He broke it in the middle here, right? That Herb Dean was a referee and caught it. Now there's a, there's obviously a, the reality that he may have used the, not, not like it was some kind of rule or whatever, but just the natural consequence of what happened. Tim stood up and so his arm fell in that position. But I think Frank may have used his cup as like the fulcrum to, to then bend. But in any case, um, you know, and by the way, like, you know, him beating Noguera and breaking Noguera's arm in the way he did. Dude, Frank Mir wasn't just tech. I mean, so it was rare for a heavyweight to move like he did. It was rare for a heavyweight to have the ground skulls that he did. Now, obviously, later after uh, Frank, you, you know, Noguera was around the same time, but in pride for a long time. And then Verdum kind of hit his stride much later. So you saw guys who had, you know, Verdum had really good real world jujitsu accomplishments and made it good into MMA. Frank, to me, reminds me a little bit more of like a Charles Oliveira type in the sense that Charles Oliveira doesn't have any prestigious titles at the black belt or even brown belt level that I'm aware of in jiu-jitsu. I was actually looking up his profile last night on BJJ Heroes. He doesn't have any major titles. He never won the Brasileiros, I think, beyond like purple. Um, you know, that's nice, but that's not that's not elite competition at all. And uh, Frank doesn't have anything like that either. Um, but when it came to MMA, they just had a real knack for making their jiu-jitsu work. And Frank's in particular was... You know, Frank doesn't have a ton of great chokes, like from the back. He wasn't a back specialist who was good at strangulation. He's just always been a limb manipulator, and he has done it with devastating consequences. And that quote from Joe Silva really speaks to it. He had, he had, he was a big man who had little man jujitsu, but big man power. When I say little man jujitsu, I mean, you know, a lot of times you'll see this. I made this point on the MK video talking about Gordon Ryan. Gordon Ryan does not have big man jujitsu at all. Like Orlando Sanchez has big man jujitsu. Orlando Sanchez is this big hulking guy. I think he's a Cobrina black belt. And he uses big man style of, uh, you know, top control, heavy, you know, uh, clubbing on the back of the neck. He's you know working on snap downs, trying to get on top at all times. He's really not going to work from guard, Orlando Sanchez, right? Um, Frank Mir would Frank Mir would invert on his shoulders things that a guy that big shouldn't be able to do here's a little homework assignment for you guys if you want to see a guy in jiu-jitsu who had like in pure jiu-jitsu who had uh, a little man's game despite being big check out Abraham Marte Abraham is how you would spell it Abraham Marte Abraham Marte who I think was like I want to say like Puerto Rican or Dominican something like that um he had little man jujitsu. He was a big guy and he would invert and barambolo and all this stuff that big guys don't do. So that's what Frank brought to the heavyweight division with heavyweight power. The fact that he later on learned how to strike. And yes, I know he choked out um, Czech Congo, but in general, in general, choking was not his main method of, of doing damage with jujitsu was the limb manipulation. And, um, or the one, the one he got on Anthony Hardonk. Um, by the way, he nearly got a knee bar with his own legs. Like, he used his own legs to get a knee bar on Dan Christensen. Now, it didn't actually work. That was the troubled part where Frank was following the um, motorcycle accident that he had that nearly ruined or ended his career, but uh, he was able later to recover. Dude, Frank, Frank was a joy to cover. Frank was a joy to cover. And, um, you know, didn't work out for him against Brock the second time. Uh, obviously he got the, uh, the knee bar the other time, but, uh, that's what he brought. The Joe Silva quote is the, is the best way to put it when technique meets horsepower. That's really what he was. Good question. I like this. 
Great question. I keep doing this in the wrong order. All right. Hey, Luke, could you explain what it means to have an educated jab? I assume it would be a mix of timing and effectiveness of the strike and disrupting the opponent's rhythm, or is it just another way of saying someone has a good jab? It's the latter and the former. This is what it means to have an educated jab. So you can have a good jab without it necessarily being an educated one, right? For example, if you're really good about, you know, um, you're active with the jab and you land with authority and then you put up your other punches behind it, I wouldn't necessarily call that an educated jab, but it's a very effective one. It's a good one. Hey, man, you can do a lot with that. Um, the An educated jab would be more than that. An educated jab would be something like a versatile jab, a jab that you could use to blind people, a jab that you could use to parry and then strike, a jab you could use um, for baiting, to bait an attack, where you jab just enough away where you kind of almost make contact with them to convince them, oh, he must be close and he's retreating and now's my time to go, and you actually trick them. The jab actually helps set a trap. It's a jab that serves a different range of functions and the more useful inside of those functions, like it's got good power and he can set traps with it and he can find range with it and he can use you know trickery with it and he can be defensive with the jab or whatever he needs to be. That's an educated jab to, to me. Now, someone else might have a different definition, but that's always how it was explained to me is someone who has this, you know, this ability to speak to all the different dimensions of just simply what a lead hand could do. That is an educated jab, uh, essentially. Now, if you're using the lead hand for things other than jabbing, it becomes something other than jabbing, and that becomes something a little bit different. For example, if you have open stance and you're using it to parry and then punch or just to parry anyway or, you know, whatever disrupt you know uh the hand fighting there but in general if you're using it to punch in different kinds of ways if there's delayed timing on it again if you're using it to blind you know it's a, it's there's an education to what uh, th that's sort of what that means it's how it's explained to me anyway so take that for what it is worth uh let's see let's see I mean, they just wait till I'm on the air. They, they, they just wait. They just wait. It drives me fucking nuts. I don't get texts all day, and then they just all of a sudden starts. All right, I'll answer this one. Um, here it is, Luke. You may disagree, but I feel that Bellator has the worst production of the large MMA promotion. So UFC one, PFL, and then I guess you would include Bellator. Everything from the audio and especially the lighting just doesn't hold up. See, I don't. I've. Well, okay, so I, I would halfway, or I would say I would partly agree. I actually disagree majorly with the audio. I actually feel like their audio is one of their strengths, to be quite honest with you. Um, and I think they have their own crew. I know Showtime obviously airs it, but and there is some production elements there. And by the way, let me be very clear about this. I do not speak for Showtime. I do not speak for any of Bellator. I don't speak for any of their choices. I'm reacting to this as best I can just from an observer, okay? So let me be very clear about that. Uh, but I do think that that's their, the way that they mic the cage is much better than often what UFC... Uh, one does a pretty good job too, actually. I don't really love the way UFC mics their cage. Even in the, in the apex when there's not necessarily a big crowd there, I feel like the noise can be drowned out. And maybe that's an intentional choice. I just don't like it. I don't prefer it that way. Now, I do like, obviously, a lot of the production elements and the bells and whistles from UFC. They have a very dynamic television product in general. Um, one as well. 
PFL, just they got to get the fucking graphics off the screen. Um, but if I had an issue with Bellator's production, what would stand out most to me about that? I'm trying to think. You say the lighting doesn't hold up? Again, that wouldn't be what I would pinpoint. Um, I also, I like their ring walk. I do. I think that's different. I wouldn't want to see every promotion do it, but that they do it and no one else does, I think is cool. Um, I got to tell you, for me, that wouldn't be the issue. I like when I'm thinking about like what's holding Bellator back, you know, could there be elements of the production that are spruced up? Sure. I'll let you guys pick that out. I actually don't like the rounded cage, which is not a production issue. I can't stand the rounded cage. I think it actually creates more problems than it solves. Um, I think it's a little dark all the time. Uh, and, you know, this is my plea, and I've communicated this internally to Showtime. I think if you're going to show stats on the screen, that they need to be presented in a more dynamic way. Or if you're going to put tweets on the screen, I think the way the UFC does it is a more dynamic way. That's my personal opinion. And again, I have told producers this in Showtime, hey, here's something I'd like to see. But, you know, obviously I don't have control over that, but I really would disagree. The lighting, I don't have a strong opinion one way or the other. Maybe you're right. I don't know exactly what part of lighting you're referring to. I would disagree on the audio. I do believe that there, you can hear the feet, you know, contact the mat uh, as the fighters move. You can hear that sweeping sound. And, of course, when the punches land, it's very dynamic. I have my speaker system over here, and I, I really do believe that is true. The rest of the product... You know, you can say what you want about, but I don't think that I, I, for me, it's not a fair claim that their audio is an issue. Everything else, it's up to you. Uh, damn. Um, I'll read it, but I don't know if I have a good answer for you. Luke, thanks for the content. I recently lost both my parents in the span of a month. Going back and watching previous episodes about emotions being like waves on a rocky beach has really helped me in my struggles lately. Good. Any other books or forms of healthy self-reflection do you suggest for turbulent times? I understand you're not, you aren't a therapist, but it's refreshing to hear you speak outside the context of fighting. Best to you and yours. Let me see. Jesus. I don't have a lot. Um, I really don't. I don't know what to tell you other than I'm incredibly sorry to hear about your um, difficulties. Uh, I didn't read a ton of books to try and get better, candidly. I, As I've told you guys before, I drank a lot, way too much. That was not great. Um, I actually believe that I have impaired my long-term cognition by doing that. I don't know if there's any medical data to support that. It could just be my imagination because I don't sleep very much these days. But I actually believe that my long-term cognition, not like it was ruined, but I don't think, um, frankly, my mental acuity is as good as it once was. Maybe that's a natural part of aging, but I wonder if all the drinking I did played a role. So there's that. Um, but the only thing I really did was, I've said this before, there was really two things that you can do that I ever did. I didn't try and like 
bury myself in self-help books. I don't, I don't in large part, of course, I, what was it last week? We were talking about the body keeps the score that I would not include in what I'm about to say, but in general, I don't really trust self-help books. I don't really trust self-help experts. Again, as a general rule, I am certain, I am certain that there's probably a whole cornucopia of self-help books that if one found, you could derive significant benefit. That's not what I'm suggesting. I'm not suggesting that's not true. But what I am suggesting is there is so much self-help that I find trying to separate the wheat from the chaff, the charlatans from the actual valuable ones, is more work than there is reward. And what I just found much more helpful for me was trying to live right, right? Trying to get sleep, trying to have community, trying to get exercise, trying to get sunlight, trying to, you know, just live a life in a balanced and healthy way, and then seeking professional help. Those were the two things that I thought were important, and you do them to various degrees. I did take um, Adderall for a while, right in the immediate space after my mom died for concentration issues. I've talked about this before. I had to eventually get off of them because they made sleep almost impossible, and that was really bad. Um, and there were other antidepressants that I took along the way, but not for very long. I didn't find that. I didn't find I found that in the short term just to catch my breath, so to speak, much better. But that was it was you can just tell you can pop the pill and you'll feel better, but you can there's a nagging part of your consciousness that's just kind of telling you, you know you're not solving the problem, man. You're not solving the problem. It's like hitting the snooze on the alarm. It's going to keep going off. You know, you have to you have to just get up. You have to get up. So Unfortunately, I don't have any helpful reading in this regard. I wish I did. Uh, if somebody else does, please, by all means, comment on this person's post or this person's uh, question. Help them out. I I'm not in a good position to do that today. All right, let's see. I think this is a trick question, so we'll see. Luke, curious about your experience training jiu-jitsu. believe in the past you've responded to a question about whether you train BJJ again. He said, probably not. I believe you mentioned that your view of injury risk versus reward is different from how Henry Gracie talks about it. I'm sure I'm going to weigh this up myself due to having had moderate injuries a couple of times from training partners. Was getting your purple belt worth it for you? And if not, when do you wish you had stopped training? How do you know I have a purple belt? Maybe it's a brown belt. Maybe it's a blue belt. Maybe it is a purple belt. You don't know. Um, either way, here is where I came down on this. And everyone's going to be different. Everyone's got different rules and different lives. If you want to do this job or something like it, you, one of the things I always stress to people, and this might sound like a crazy thing to say, but it's very real, you must watch the fights. Now, that's very easy to do when it's the UFC pay-per-view. That's not what I'm talking about. You have to watch all the prelims. You have to watch Bellator. You have to watch PFL. You have to watch one. And you got to watch, for me, boxing too. You have to spend a lot of time watching fights. And then I also have to research these fighters. I have to research their coaches and camps and everything else. But the biggest point, the pain point in terms of time management is I have to spend a lot of time reviewing film, a ton, like a shitload of time. I watch a lot of people maim each other on a daily basis. And so as a consequence, I have a limited but doable time to exercise each week. The problem that I found in jiu-jitsu was that um, – Jesus, a lot. One, I had one person 
a very good jujitsu player tell me like, oh, if you want to get in better shape for jujitsu, just do more jujitsu. Yeah, that's a very stupid fucking thing to say. I wish I could go back and tell that person to their fucking face how wrong they were. But anyway, in order for me to train jujitsu in a way that I think would be healthy for me, I would have to do it at least three times a week. And I would have to lift probably an equal amount. And I know there's probably people watching this being like, oh, you could do it with two times a week. Okay, let's say it's even two times a week. That's five times a week. I have tried to even just lift weights five times a week in my current schedule. It's just not possible. So for example, that Mackenzie Dern video. Now, of course, these things can be shorter and they need to be. The biggest three parts of friction that I have in getting them out quickly is one, harvesting the footage. Two, setting up my studio to make sure that everything looks right. And then three, the editing process. Now, the editing process is not that bad. It's pretty re relatively quick compared to the other two. But the other two take a while, especially, you know, how many times have you guys seen me post a video and then afterwards, like, the sound is all fucked up and I'm like, Jesus. So now I'm really trying to take my time to make sure ahead of time all of the um, checks in place are done so that I don't have a production issue afterwards. Uh, and then harvesting the footage takes time as well. I had to go back and watch the Rodriguez fight a couple, a couple times, this fight with Jean Chanan a couple times. It took... I watched the Torres fight once, or once upon review anyway. It takes time. With all of those things, it's just not, I don't have time to do that three times a week and then go train two to three times a week on top of it to lift weights. It's just not doable for me. So I could just do the three times a week and then not do the other parts on the lifting weights. But I have found that when I don't, the more I don't lift weights, the more I actually get injured. I don't, this bad injury I got lifting weights. But short of that, most of the problems I've had are from a lack of lifting weights. I've always, my lower back has always felt better when my deadlift is strong. I've always felt much better when I had much more power. It's not the other way around. And so um, for me, I just have to make a trade-off. If I have, four, basically what I found for me is the sweet spot is I have four times a week I can go and like to myself, I can exercise without obstruction. But if I do that for jujitsu, I'm actually going to end up, I think, in the low. We're like, oh, you get in shape doing jujitsu. You get into a certain kind of shape. But for my body, I have to lift weights. I have to lift weights. Doesn't have to be, you know, powerlifting. That's not what I'm saying. Could be kettlebells, could be dumbbells, could be hypertrophy, could be any kind of thing. But there has to be some kind of resistance training that goes into it. And um, I can't split the two enough to not fuck up one or the other that's kind of where i'm at so if you can manage those things or you have a different body type or you have maybe a jiu-jitsu gym where you've got a gym and like a like a like a resistance training gym and like mats to roll in the same place god bless you go knock yourself out like you might be fine but i don't have that and uh it, it's not it's not workable for me um let's see Oh, here's one. Do you think Eddie Hearn's lawsuit against Jake Paul will go anywhere? It, I mean, it, to settlement. It'll go to settlement. Jake will have to pay some amount of money, and then that's that. It'll go to settlement. Um, <laughs> I love this question. 
If you had to DJ BC's funeral, what song would his casket come out to? That's a great question. Fuck me. Um, <laughs> only because I hate it, uh, Sweet Caroline, which is just a terrible fucking song. And I know the Brits watching this are just having a heart attack when me saying that. It's a terrible song. It's just a terrible, terrible song. It's the song of like drunk suburban moms everywhere. That's all that fucking song is. It's the worst. And the fact that people try to make you think, it, it's like nothing has, you, you, I remember the children's book, The Emperor Has No Clothes? Nothing is more The Emperor Has No Clothes than people trying to convince you that Sweet Caroline is a good song. On what fucking planet? I have ears. I have ears. And this is not me doing a bit like, you know, I can hear like Gangnam Style is a poppy song that's catchy. I can get it. It's not for me, but I can get it. And I can also understand on the other side, I like hardcore metal. I can understand how that would be very off-putting for people. And then, then they, you know, Nary the Twain shall meet. Fine, fine. No, no problem. You really want me to accept that this fucking dopey song about the lamest topic imaginable Uh that clearly sounds like it's designed for the bingo parlor in, you know, some sad forgotten part of Missouri where blue hairs to sing, to cheer themselves up. You, you want me to accept that this is a good, I mean, get the fuck out of here. I have ears. I have ears. This is like me. Like, you know, it's like, it, it, seriously, it'd be more convincing if someone played the sounds of someone being stabbed to death and being like, isn't this pleasant? And you'd be like, fuck no, it's not what you were talking about. That's how it sounds. I mean, and you know it sounds that way. You're all doing a bit. You're all doing a bit that you oh, walking. It's, it's really catchy. It's catchy if you've been hit in the head with a hammer. Yes, I would agree. I would agree that if your uh, you know cerebral cortex has been damaged by steel running into it, potentially yet could alter your judgment. But for the rest of us with ears, it's just a complete emperor has no clothes moment. What a dopey, terrible song. All right, one more of these. Uh, here's a good one. Luke, in my opinion, one of the most definitive signs a fighter is shot is their increasing inability to throw. I would slightly challenge that. What's your best guess as to the mechanism behind the gun shyness? Is it the subconscious fear of getting hurt back? Is it the damage or the slowing of the synapses? So by the time they recognize an opening, it's already gone. So it's a little bit of that. But the, the word you chose here is this one. Excuse me. This one. It's You wrote inability. I don't think it's an inability. Although it could be one, it can be a couple of things. It's an unwillingness, a little bit different. Now, to your point, they could also be shot, right? Where their body is just completely beaten up, they're older. So if their game relied on speed to any degree, and that's been, you know, they've lost a step or, or two, they could... Um, they could be affected by that, right? So to your point where they could realize if I throw, I'm just going to get countered and I don't really want to throw. That's part of it. I think it's a few things. I've talked to fighters. Uh, so I've talked to a couple of boxers actually at the end of their run and they talked about like the unwillingness to throw. And basically what they told me was um, a couple of things. One, a lot of some of them were just out there because they had gone through the motions. Like every part of the process, like the training, some of the, some, sometimes the sparring, sometimes guys told me they knew in sparring, but sometimes they didn't. 
sometimes guys told me that everything was good in the training. They were good. They're, they were eating right. Um, you know, sparring was fine. And then they got to the fight and all that mental strength that they had built up completely fell apart. So that was one. Two is your point. Like they don't trust their own physical abilities anymore. Three, if they've taken bad beatings, they can't seem to bring themselves to rally a certain fire within themselves anymore. I mean, the human body is finite. It is finite in its capacity is finite in how much damage it can take. Your psychological well-being is finite in terms of how much trauma can absorb. And everyone's going to be different. Everyone's going to have different thresholds. Everyone's going to respond to things differently, you know. But there is a limit, and you cannot beat fighting. You can only do well enough um, to exit without additional trauma. You can't beat it. You cannot beat this game. The game will always win. The game is literally the destruction of human bodies. Your body is finite and frail. You will lose. You will lose. You cannot beat it. All you can do is just get out before it gets you. That's how you can sort of quote unquote win. Um, and to your point, it's a series of factors, but it's more an unwillingness to throw than it is an inability, although it can be both in the right circumstance. All right, with that in mind, let's get to your comments here. Let's see what we got. Again, you're under no obligation to put in a donation. If you'd like to, great. If not, no harm, no foul. Thank you to everyone who does. All right. Let's go first here to Terrence, right? Could 1FC be reporting loss for money laundry? You mean to wash their clothes? No, I don't think so. Uh, okay, from Terrence again. Can you tell me what is the definition of intelligently defending yourself in MMA? Some refs will stop a fight with pop shots. Some you will be concussed. So um, the answer is, in shorthand, as it was explained to me, and again, if a referee or a judge or somebody else sees this that has a better definition, by all means, please seek that out. But for example, I have seen people say covering up is not intelligent defense. Yes, it is in a certain context. Listen, if someone is punching you in the face or the side of the head, covering yourself as a first order defensive choice is actually quite normal and I would argue smart. That's a good thing. This is a good thing to do. It's not if that's all you do. Intelligent defense means you are essentially problem solving. Uh, first of all, you have a certain amount of your um, faculties in place. You can be hurt, but that you are reasoning and problem solving in real time. I think that's what they're looking for. So for example, if you get hit and they're they're trying to follow up and you do this, that's pretty intelligent. That by itself is not enough. But if this is followed by, you know, um, you a boxing where you just grab the guy in front of you to slow it down, right? Make the referee intervene, buy a little time. That is, that, that's, we're talking about MMA, but that would be another version of intelligent defense. Or you're getting hit on the ground, you cover up, but then you stand to move away. You are intelligently defending yourself. If you're getting punched on the ground, but then you wrap up guard and then an overhook and then a collar tie, you are problem solving. You are problem solving. What they're looking for is whether you still have your faculties and whether you are still problem solving, reasoning through this problem as it, you know, as it changes, as it continues. That's sort of a shorthand way to think about it. Uh, as a fan, this is a weird fit. Look at this guy's face. Just a very weird face. I know it's the picture's distorted. Uh, all right. As a fan of Morrissey and the Smiths, who is also a reasonable left-minded person what do you make of morrissey's political silliness does it affect your enjoyment of the music or can you set it aside i don't give a shit about morrissey's opinions um he's a crazy person he, he, listen 
And I know someone who disagrees with me politically is going to be like, oh, get the world's you know smallest violin to play for me. But you should hear me out for a second because it's very easy to knock this away when the shoe's on the other foot. I work in a world where people don't just have very different opinions for me. They have wildly different opinions. And in some cases, they have opinions I couldn't even come close to respecting or honoring. You know, BJ Penn's gubernatorial run was truly embarrassing. Um, he didn't have any idea how the electoral system worked, how the system of government worked in his own state. He didn't have basic competencies to answer basic questions about governance. And, you know, it followed not long after he had a series of incidents that were, you know, troubling, resulting from, from you know, fighting people drunkenly in the street. It seems to me what he was looking for, and I haven't commented on this before, but it seems to me like what he was looking for was a um, something to keep busy. I don't, I don't, you know, I don't know his personal life. I don't know how he keeps busy. I don't, I don't know what he does, but it, I, you know, I didn't get the sense this was a well thought out operation from somebody who has given deep consideration to um, policy issues. It was quite the opposite. And it was embarrassing. It was embarrassing to watch. It was truly embarrassing to watch. And it hurt to watch because, you know, this guy's nickname was the prodigy and it was a good nickname to give him. Here's the point I'm trying to make to you. It's not that we have if it's not that we can't say things critical about people we disagree about, including inside MMA. But the point I'm trying to make to you is there's actually a lot of people inside MMA that like like BJ Penn's views and think that they're great or not even forget him. Anybody else, anybody else that's got crazy ass views. And the the reality I came to was if I wanted to work in MMA, I had to on some level make peace with that a little bit. And it's easy to be like, oh, you know. Oh, Lefty Luke, just, you know, f congratulations on finding ways to work with people you disagree with. But that's not the point. The point is, I, I, I was, I've worked with people I disagree with in every job I've ever had, politically or otherwise. But I'm talking about, we're, I'm, we're like, vast separation and these people parading these views in very public ways. Um, you know, whether they want to say you represent the sport or not, it's a different consideration. But the point I'm trying to make here is, uh, I chose not... Not that you ignore that, but I would rather see the beauty in everyone's abilities, right? For example, Jake Shields and I do not see the world at all alike, at all alike. But I have enormous respect for his career. I have enormous respect for his talents. I have enormous respect for what he accomplished. And I think I have a lot to learn from him. Certainly, when it comes to combat sports, I'll never know as much about jujitsu as he as he does. I'll never; it'll never happen. You know, I, I I would rather focus on the wonderful things that I think he has done than the reality that we see the world very very differently. And so, to answer your question, getting back to this about Morrissey, it's a little bit different when we're talking about artwork and things like that, where someone's trying to present a worldview through that art in a very specific, you can draw a straight line between them kind of way. But after the pandemic, I mean, if you want to work in MMA, and unless you hold what I would consider extreme right-wing views, um, you will be lonely. You will be lonely if you want to be, or if you, if you, if you are a, of that position. I would rather find a way to acknowledge um, the beauty of every talented person in the sport than the opposite. 
But I will say the exception to that rule is if you run for office. If you run for office, all, all bets are off. Like Herschel Walker is a profound embarrassment to his party, to his family, to this country. He is a disaster of a human being, um, uh, which um, I don't know how, I, I, you know, <laughs> I don't know how anybody could take his, can- I mean, I know that it's a serious thing that he could win, but how anyone could take his candidacy serious to me is just, not everyone has done what Herschel Walker has done in his life, particularly the University of Georgia as a football player. But So it's not true that any one person can become a U.S. Senator. But Herschel Walker is so manifestly unqualified for that office that I mean that if he can make it, there's no type of person who can't. Like, if you're willing to vote for him, there's no type of person you're not willing to vote. I mean, as long as they have your same views. But they could be deranged, murderous, doesn't matter. As long as they've got the same worldview. And, you know, totally, like, Herschel Walker's clearly not bright, you know. Anyone and on that consideration could be a could be a senator. I, I mean, the most disqualifying candidate I think I've seen in my lifetime of any party. Well, David Duke was pretty bad, pretty fucking bad. But um, short of someone who was a Klansman, you know, if you can vote for him, you truly there is no limit on who you will vote for uh, in terms of like the normal things that disqualify a person. All right, thanks for that one. I appreciate that, bud. Uh, next coffee on me. Thank you. Okay. Uh, I don't buy $5 coffees, but I appreciate it. Uh, okay. Am I wrong for thinking Nate defeats a B? Oh, you mean Adrian Broner at 168? Yeah, you are. A B is not in a great place, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, so this person asks, does the UFC use Ali Abdelaziz as a mechanism to connect with foreign governments, i.e. Ali public relationship with Grinnell and getting the Azaitars to the U.S. via Germany, Morocco, and southern Russian connections? No, I seriously doubt it. The UFC has whatever the whatever UFC needs they would use to connect in-house. Do they use, uh, for example, I've seen certain Georgian, the country, not the state, uh, managers who harvest and sort of collect, so to speak, Georgian talent. They go to them for like a pipeline to them. Do they use Ali or any particular manager, manager based on the geographic regions from which they uh, they they collect talent? Yeah, that that could certainly be. But in terms of like, let me ask you your question again. To connect with foreign governments? No, I don't think so. I don't think that's the case at all. No. Uh, there is a well-known but not explained notion that ages 35 to 39 are very old to be fighting in their lightweight divisions. However, it's not old for heavyweight. Yes, that's true. There is not a great record of success for folks in the 35 to 39 age range in lightweight. There's not a, there's not a, I mean, 35, not so much, but like 37, 38, 39. Uh, but in, in heavyweight MMA, that's not nearly as true. That's why people say that. All right, Jesse writes, hello from New Zealand. You should do a metal music stream sometime where you listen to songs recommended by viewers and give your opinion on them. Um, Don't think I will, but thank you. Uh, From Michael Jardine, who else's career has been derailed by a controversial split decision loss more than Dominic Reyes after losing to John Bones Jones? Oof. Good question. 
Marvin Hagler. Marvin Hagler. Uh, let me look this up. Did he not lose to Sugar Ravia split? Um. Yeah, Marvin Hagler. Marvin Hagler never fought after that. He was so pissed and so upset with how that went that he never fought again. Um, and yeah, let me see. That was in 1970. What year was that? Excuse me, 1987. What am I saying? He he finished with a record of 62, three and two. He never fought after that. It completely ended. I mean, obviously he didn't have necessarily a ton of time left, but he could have kept going. And I think he wanted to keep going. I think if he had beaten him, he would have kept going. He was so bitter about how that went that, uh, he called it off. Yeah. Marvin Hagler. For sure. If you were a day of the week, which day of the week would you be? I don't know what the fuck I mean, what that means. Unrelated question. Thoughts on O'Malley versus Jan. Uh, if I was a day of the week. Thursday. I don't know what the fuck that means. Who does Shavkat fight next? I think I saw him calling out Jeff Neal. I think I saw him calling out. I think that's the one the UFC wants. Jeff, Jeff Neal. Rate Othello as an employee from zero to 10. I'll give him a nine. I'll give him a nine. He's pretty good. Yeah, he's really good, actually. Um, all right. Do you and BC still plan to release the W. Kamal Bell interview? Yes. What happened with that? We just put it on the back burner. We, we, we recorded, or they recorded that Chuck one. Sorry, we recorded the Chuck one a while ago, and it only just came out. So it'll come out. Uh, we just haven't put it out yet. Uh, are you a fan of his show, United Shades of America? Yes, of course. And then he says, Morning Combat Forever. Yes. So that will be out. I'm not sure when. Um, again, the Corey Anderson one was recorded recorded a long time ago. And we just now put it out. So in due time. In due time. I will warn you, though. I shot it myself. And so part of the way I shot it is fucked up. The shot on him is clean. The audio is clean. So if you listen to it on podcast, there'd be no issue. The two shot from the camera... <laughs> It's a little out of focus. Not terrible, but a little out of focus. And I think the production guys are trying to do what they can to work with that. That's not why it's on hold, but um, as a heads up on that. Showing the love. Thank you, sir. Uh, all right. How about Barcelona's Champions League loss against Inter? I didn't see I didn't see the match. I did see that they lost. Xavi loves to complain about the refs. Uh, Holland, Holland, what do you think about his upper bound limit? Oh my God. Is he not the most incredible fucker? He scored nine goals against Honduras's under 20 team in a world cup. Yeah. I, I only watched yesterday him play. And I guess it was part of the champions league. They were, who were they playing? Copenhagen FC or something? You know, they were going to win anyway. Dude, he's so big. I couldn't believe how often he found himself unmarked. Um, you know, and everyone being like, well, you know, he was in the Bundesliga. When he comes to Premier League, you know, it's going to be a different story. Get the fuck out of here. What a bunch of bullshit. This is what I'm talking about. The Premier League is the best league in the world. That is clearly true. That is very true. But this idea that it's like so much better that, you know, no one else from other leagues will ever have the same kind of success. He's over there just bossing those bitches around. He's tall. He's fast. He can get up for, you know, aerial shots on set pieces. He's physical. You know, dude, he is a nightmare for people from what I can tell. So, Man City, man, if you can't control for him, you're in deep shit. 
All right. Uh, how does the TJ Aljo fight go down? If there is more of a chance of TJ getting, excuse me, is there more of a chance of TJ getting subbed or him knocking out Aljo? I think it goes the distance, and I think it involves a lot of wrestling. Actually, um, I think TJ is going to want to corner him, and Aljo is going to be on the move or wrestling or on the move or wrestling or on the back. Matt returning him, trying to find the back. I think it's going to be a lot of that. Scrambling. It's going to be a physical, long fight. How has your taste for, uh, I think you mean MMA changed over the years? I hope it's gotten better. Uh, I try to, yeah, I don't know. I've always loved it, uh, and I've always been, um, I'll say this. It's still true that I like the ground game more than striking, but my appreciation for striking in the last two to three years has gone way up, way up. Um, I like striking. I've always liked it. I like it way more than I ever did, way more than I ever did, and I'm glad. Now I have this like much greater appreciation in total. You know, uh, Ariel and Shab, this person writes, have this top-class ability to turn anything Dana does into a positive. He's no angel, but that bias level isn't a good look despite issue. I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. He's no angel. Who's no angel? Dana? But that bias level isn't a good look despite issues. Um, I don't know what they said that was so bad. Well, I saw the Shab one, obviously, because he made it a big deal. Um, yeah, I didn't really agree with a lot of things he was saying there, but... Um, I didn't see what Ariel said, but you know, in the case of Ariel, like I've had some conversations with him. Like I would not be so, um, Ariel has taken the high road a lot. He's taken the high road a lot. So if it looks like he's not taking the high road now, that's only because he took the high road for a long, long time. So I didn't know what he said, but I would cut him a break if I was you. I'd cut him a break. What's the new tat you said you got done? It's this one. It's the see the see the see the tiger. Got the tiger done. Um, I got a chuckle out of Hamzat going from kill everybody to who is that guy? With respect to Bo Nichols' call-out, how do you see Bo versus Izzy and Rob a year on? Great question. We're going to answer this tomorrow on Morning Combat. We're going to have a debate about it on this very topic. I look forward to it. Can you tell us more about PED use? Yeah, it's great. I encourage it. Uh, at some point in my life, I probably will do it. There you go. Let's see the new tattoo you just did. If Cejudo comes back, who do you favor between him and the top three fighters in 135 and 145 divisions? All right. Um, let's see that. Let me pull that up. My daughter's yelling because mom just got home. Mom was on a business trip. <laughs> I don't know if you can hear that or not. There's a happy reunion happening just outside this door. All right. So let's take this off for just a second. So you're asking about top three at 135 and 145, right? All right. So here we have how would how would Cejudo do against Jan? 
I'd love to see it. Dillashaw, he already beat him at 125. I tend to think he might do well again. And then Marab, I tend to think he punishes Marab. 145, let's start from the bottom. Ortega, I think he would get hit a lot, but I wonder about what would happen because I think Ortega, this is winnable, it seems like, for Cejudo, maybe. I, I feel like Yair, if he could stop the takedown, would light um, Cejudo on fire. Oh, okay, actually, I'm you know I'm not even including the champion here, so I'm just doing top three contenders. So hold on, let's go through that. Holloway, I think, beats him relatively easily. I think Volkanovski makes it look terrible for Cejudo, and I like Cejudo a lot. I think very highly of his abilities. I think Volkanovski would do terrible things to him. And you're asking about Sterling. Sterling's an interesting one too. Um, how would I've never I've never given it deep consideration. How would Cejudo do against against Sterling. Um, Cejudo could win that one. He could win that one. Yeah, I think Cejudo could be champion again. I really do. I really do. All right. Favorite Colombian soda? Colombiana or Posto Bon Manzana? Bang energy doesn't count. So if you guys don't know, Colombiana is, uh, they have this drink, by the way, called Refajo which is where they take Colombiana, which is sort of like a A&W cream soda kind of flavor. Something that's a little bit different. It's actually a little bit better, but it's something like that. And that's like the national like soda they have there. And then they'll mix that in a pitcher with beer. And then they drink that as like their post hangover drink. It's called Refajo. Not just for post hangover, but a lot of time for post hangover. It's like, you know, Americans here are like when they got hangovers they'll go to the bar and get like a bloody mary or something that's what they do with refajo postobon monsana postobon is one of the major companies in fact they used to sponsor the colombian soccer league it used to be called like liga postobon manzana is just uh spanish for apple so it's like this apple soda that they have i will tell you i like colombiana better my wife likes postobon monsana better uh, manzana excuse me better uh, there you go I've done this one already. Top five BBLs. I've done this one already. Check my TikTok. I appreciate the donation, but check my TikTok. I'm not doing this shit again. All right, Luke, do you have a favorite comedian, past or present? Yes, Patrice O'Neill. Very easy. And I, by the way, I've read books. Used to be Bill Hicks. I do like Bill Hicks a lot. By the way, Bill Hicks talking about, um, you know, the war on drugs in the 80s and having good experiences on drugs in the 80s. Uh, one, of my, one of my favorite things. One of my favorite things. Um, what, what does it say? Um... You never hear good news stories on on uh, what's what's the quote? Hold on, let me pull this up from Bill Hicks. If you guys have never seen this, Bill Hicks, "Good Times on Drugs" news quote. I used to have a shirt that said this. I was a, I was a hardcore fan. Let me pull this up. If you've never seen this, it's one of my favorite quotes. His point was like every time you hear a story on the news about drugs, it's like some terrible incident. You know, some young man jumped off a roof and died. Isn't that a tragedy? And he's like, dude, I've had a lot of good times on drugs. Where are those stories? Uh, and here is the actual quote. Let me hide this. It's like, oh, Jesus Christ. Here. Uh, wouldn't you like to see a positive LSD story here on the news? Right? To base your decision on information rather than scare, taxes, scare tactics and superstition, perhaps? Wouldn't that be interesting just for once? And then he's imitating a newscaster when he goes, Today, a young man on acid realized that all matter is merely energy condensed to a slow vibration, that we are all one consciousness experiencing life excuse me, experiencing itself subjectively. There is no such thing as death. Life is only a dream, and we are the imagination of ourselves. Here's Tom with the weather. 
Uh, that bit used to fucking kill when he did it. And it was highly original back when he did it. We're talking about like, you know, 40 years ago he was doing this. So pre pretty impressive how he enlightened he was, um, all things considered. Uh, let's see. <laughs> Tuki is spelled T-U-K-U-I. Excuse me, what am I saying? T-U-Q-U-I. That's how we spell it. Uh, thoughts on more kids, benefits and drawbacks. I don't have more kids. I'm not really all that. I'm told that when you have another one, they kind of play more with each other rather than you having to act as your playmate, and that's actually not as hard. But then <laughs> Othello just had another kid, and that shit broke his back, so I don't even know. I don't even know what the truth is anymore. Uh, I'm that donk that sang Blinded by the Lights to help break the tension in Vegas in July before you went live with Rashad in D.C. Just want to say thanks for Morning Combat t-shirts. Thank you, Michael. I appreciate you. Dude. I remember that, actually. That was funny. Uh, all right. This person writes, Reyes, talking about Dominic, isn't that bad. He lost to two future champs. True. We'll see how it goes on his next return. Are or were you a fan of corn? Maybe in high school. Maybe in high school. Not anymore. Um, thoughts on new metal and its slight resurgence. You can count me the fuck out. Yeah, I'm not interested. Uh, have you ever gone skiing in Medellin? I don't know if that's a real thing. I think that's mostly a joke about drugs. Um, so I'm going to say no and no. And uh, yeah, it's a shithead thing. All right. Do you believe Corey Anderson claims that he made more money in a second Bellator fight than all of his 15 UFC fights combined? Well, he came off the Ultimate Fighter, so yes. Mm -hmm. I do believe that. Uh, any experience with Trinidad and Tobago or its culture? No, it's a very unique island and culture. Some Trini artists are being featured at... I don't, I'm actually, I don't even know where this place is. Home in D.C. this month. Um, any other Trini fighters other than MVC? I do not know. I do not know. I'm actually not experienced with that at all. So it's a great question, actually, but I don't I don't have a good sense of it. But I appreciate your uh, patronage just the same. All right, email me, LukeThomasNews at gmail.com with any feedback you might have. And um, yeah, this will be up tonight on podcast before you before I go to bed, before you guys get up in the morning. I appreciate you watching. Thank you so much. And uh, yeah, if you haven't checked out the Mackenzie Dern tape study, please do. I think it's some good stuff in there. I really am. I really want to get these going again. And um, I think you'll like it. Okay. Thank you guys so much. Until next time, stay frosty.